You are now tuned in to the Addicted to Success.com podcast, where geniuses, entrepreneurs, and next level game changers share their juicy little secrets on achieving massive success. This is the advice you wish you heard years ago. Be prepared and take note as we expose the realness and the raw of what it takes to be successful on Addicted to Success.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Addicted to Success podcast. And today for this episode, we have a guy by the name of Steve Sims, who founded a company called Bluefish, which is a travel party uh, experience company for billionaires, multimillionaires, uh, the super wealthy, super successful. And what's great about Steve is, you know, I, I watched one of Steve's videos where he was delivering a keynote and he is such a down-to-earth guy. And he talks with nothing to hide. He's just a genuine self. He's very authentic. And what's great about Steve is, you know, he's not just in it for the money. And he makes that pretty clear. And uh, Steve, I mean, that's great, mate. And, you know, tell us a little bit about this, man. Why aren't you in it for the money? And what have you learned from these millionaires and billionaires? Well, Hopefully you learn from your mistakes, and uh, I certainly had a lot of mistakes, which has uh, hopefully taught me to place value in places the value should be, and not on the uh, on the greenbacks. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, you got it. You got it. And what's funny is you're around the the type of guys that are probably initially they started out like that, and you probably see that they're very giving nowadays as well, right? Like a lot of these you know, billionaires, successful uh, entrepreneurs. You get to a point where you make so much money, but then it's like, well, I got to give back too. Yeah, there is a circle. It's it's very interesting to if I'm probably one of the most boring antisocial people you'll meet, <laughs> but I do seem to enjoy watching people, and it, and and I love psychology. I, I the books I love, the movies I love. You know, it's that, that's my area. And so I love watching people, and you can almost see them grow. Just as you'd see a baby learn to walk, you can <laughs> kind of pinpoint the benchmarks of a person of where they are, and and to to a certain degree, pan out how over the next few years that life's going to change, and how the handbag purchases are going to drop off, and the fancy cars are suddenly going to no longer be of interest, and how. <laughs> How it's going to kind of like suddenly move around to what's going to fulfill them or what's going to be their drug of choice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You can't impact um, you know, everyone by uh, going out there and spending money on your own things. Hey, that's a, that's a thing. You need to know. Like, I think it's a sense of like feeling that you're, you're valuable in the world, that you're giving some sort of value. I think that's why a lot of them do it too. I think you're right. I think it's the, it's the whole um, king's clothes. Uh, in fact, I think... Um, I think here in America, you call it the emperor's new clothes. You know the old story about the, 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 the king was convinced to be naked and was wearing a suit that only intelligent people could see. Do you remember that yes, fable? Yes, I remember that. Right. Yes, yes. Right. So I think a lot of people here, and it, and it happens, and being that we're humans and we're, we're fickle and slightly stupid, we forget the pain. So we go through a recession and we go, shit, never going to do that again. Five <laughs> years later, we repeat it. Um, <laughs> You get a lot of rich people here. They start getting rich. The first thing they do is they grab a Rolex and they grab a BMW that becomes a, a, a Mercedes, that becomes a Porsche, that becomes a Ferrari, that becomes a, a Bentley. And, and you just see all these things and they're constantly striving 
for validation. And I think that validation at some point, once they've traveled a few times around the world and they, they, they've done all these things and they've got more watches than there are minutes in a day, that that validation becomes the question of value. And that's when they start changing their perspective. And, and it's beautiful to see. Yeah, but you know what's sad, right? Actually, I've got a few multi-millionaire friends and, um, and, and one of them actually told me that he's been able to land a lot more um, deals and work with a lot more higher-end clients because he's got, now got a Lamborghini. And he said, it's no joke. He said the same people that he would go out and meet with that like wouldn't close a deal, wouldn't want to you know, kind of connect or they're playing around. The moment he had a Lamborghini, he's out around them. He signs those deals. It's crazy. Well, I'm, look, when I was 18 years old and living in East London, I had a shitty old motorbike that started only when it wanted to, and I drove a truck. I am 48 years old now. I live in Hollywood Hills. I've got half a dozen bikes that still just want to start when they want to, and I drive a truck. But in between that period, I went through spaces in my life where I had Ferraris, Bentleys, and Porsches, and it's accurate. You know, I would turn up at a meeting on a motorbike, wouldn't be taken seriously. I would turn up in a Bentley, all of a sudden I was important. And <laughs> it was a shame, wow. but it was a, it was a shield that I, I, I pushed away. And I'm glad to say that I'm, I'm very comfortable in a position in my life now where I have more credibility than I need to show off. So... I'm now in a comfortable position where I turn up to billionaire clients, Saudi princes. I went over to the Beverly uh, Wilshire the other day on a, an old 46 Harley Davidson jeans, T-shirt, sunglasses. But they know what I do that I don't need to turn up. In fact, it probably goes the other way. If I turn up in a Bentley or a Porsche, I probably look like a fake. But that's awesome. <laughs> but, you're, but you're right. The, the sad thing is, and I've also – have you ever seen people watch um, – Play, uh, uh, play wristwatch chess. You ever seen that? Oh, no, no way. Oh, it's great. The guy turns up and uh, the first thing he does is pull his sleeves up a little bit so he can validate or show off that he's wearing an Odemar or a Panerai or a Rolex. And then the other guy will do it or won't do it depending on what his watch is. Oh, God. That's and when hilarious. you turn, <laughs> yeah, when you turn, you watch that next time. When you turn up at a networking event, and they get that beer and they just pull the wrist, the shirts back a little bit just to say, hey, bit of, uh, bit of wrist validation here, mate. You know, check the length of this. And, and it's funny as hell because nine times out of ten, and I like watches, uh, but nine times out of ten, I'll turn up at a meeting. I won't wear a watch because of that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's really man. cool. And then, then, then look at that face when they put our sleeves up and, of course, you're wearing a T-shirt and you don't care. It's really, <laughs> it's really cool to see that. It kind of stumps them because you're not playing the game. Oh, that's hilarious. It's funny. You, um, you must pay a lot of attention to, to detail. It sounds like you, you are interested in uh, psychology and how people work. So you're picking oh, up on these about. things. You, could, you can learn so much from someone before they've uttered a word. Yeah. And you can then, you can then learn just as much from the way they're saying it. Yeah, I've been, I've been in, in meetings all over the world, met with people that I can't even speak the language, but I, I know enough. Um, I know enough about them 
from everything else that I'm that I'm able to work with them. Mm. And this this is why I believe that you're such a like a master connector and you're great at building relationships, right? Your your business is uh it's an exclusive concierge service for the listeners, you know, if you don't know who uh, Steve is. And a, a lot of people that are looking at playing in this space, it might take them years and years or even decades to really get in to be connected with the right people. So like what is your I wouldn't say secret sauce, but what do you feel is the fundamentals of building great relationships and staying connected with uh, with the right people? Um, I would say I've put it down to two things, and I would like to pre-qualify this. Um, everyone looks for the secret sauce until you realize there is no sauce. Um, with myself, I think, and again, I mentioned to you earlier that I'm 48 years old. I think the, 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 the beauty of my job was that I've been stupid for about 47 years of those. Um, <laughs> I've not been frightened to approach anybody. I've not been scared or intimidated to ask a question. So whenever someone meets me, that's the difference. They're meeting me. They're not, they're not meeting me in a $5,000 suit or a $20,000 watch or turning up in a $150,000 car that's on lease. They're meeting me, the real me. And if they like that, great. We've already covered a lot of ground. If they don't, hey, fair enough, you're not. It's like dating. You're not going to fall in love with every person you meet. So with me, they're meeting the real person. And it's their decision whether or not they like it or not. Secondly, I do what I say I'm going to do. And that is something that I, I can't emphasize enough. Do what you say you're going to do. Keep to your word, keep to your word, keep to your word. The credibility that you will gain from that, because sadly, in this planet, people don't do that. You'll get, oh, I, tried, yeah, I was going to do what you want, but I found this. Or oh, I tried to do this, and this came out better. Just give the person exactly what they want. Do what you say you're going to do. And if you can get that credibility behind you, that is bankable. That is the greatest ROI you will ever get anywhere. Yeah, yeah, right on point, man. So authenticity and following through. Oh, 100%. And again, be, be fully aware because this will protect you and this will help you. Do not try to grab everyone. Do not try to get the entire room to fall in love with you. They won't. It's a numbers game. Some people will love you. Some people will hate you. It's those in the middle that are open to making a decision. So you can get a majority vote, and that's all you need. Wonderful advice. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. So when you started Bluefish, right, did you go yeah. in with the intention of connecting with the right people to build your business? Or how did that all come about? Like, What was your mindset at that point when you first started Bluefish? Oh, truth. Uh, that's a tricky question. Um, my mindset was was I, I think the, I think the term is completely on my backside. Um, <laughs> I came from a construction family, so I actually wanted never to drive a truck, never to work in the cold, never to wear jeans and a t-shirt all day. I lived for the life of the '80s, where I wanted to be a Wall Street boy, wear a five thousand dollars. So everything that I've just criticised, I wanted to be, and. So I tried to get into the banking world and I suddenly found that it was full of fakes and flakes. So I started throwing parties and quite simply working on the door. And if you want to know about psychology, talk to a doorman, talk to a bartender, 
talk to a waitress, because they've got to make a decision on someone within a nanosecond. And they really are very good at it. You get a good bartender, best psychologist on the planet. So I started working on the door, started putting these events together, and noticed that wealth didn't have a dress code. The guy that turns up to buy a Ferrari on a Saturday with his girlfriend, he's wearing a suit. He's not buying a Ferrari. The guy that turns up on a Tuesday in jeans and a T-shirt, he's buying two. So I suddenly got to notice this, and I started to put together, and here's where it gets really twisted. I started to put these parties together, and I used Bluefish as a password to get into these parties with the whole idea that I could attract enough cool rich people that I could then go to a bank and get a job as a banker. That was my, that was my whole focus, my whole direction. Now, quite simply, the banks never wanted to touch me because I looked, I, I looked like a guy you would never trust a credit card with. Um, <laughs> but by now, it was too late. I was throwing kick-ass parties all over Asia. I was traveling the world, looking after clients, getting them into different events. Delusionally, still thinking I was going to get a banking job. And that helped me keep to my values within what we had now incorporated to be Bluefish. Wow, what an awesome story. It's funny, it's kind of like you fell into it, right? First it was totally. a password and then it became this massive brand that is now just global and it rings bells like within you know the elite circles. So no, that's amazing, that's amazing. Congratulations on uh, all your success so far. Thank you. Nice, nice, Dave. So I know that you've uh, you know rubbed shoulders with people like uh, Sting, Andrea Bocelli, Donald Trump, Elon Musk, Richard Branson. I mean, these are you know these guys are no joke. They they achieve quite a lot of success in their life. What would you say is the biggest standout moment uh, being around guys like this? Oh, we well, shouldn't forget the ladies. There's uh, I think Ariana Huffington would probably give you a slap if you missed out on the girls. Oh, um, Ariana, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so whew, there's, that's, that's a big question. I think to give you one of my biggest th – there's two answers to that question, okay? The, one of the best experiences I've had this year was actually hanging out with Andrea Bocelli at the feet of Michelangelo's David where I set up a, a table for six because my client asked me that he wanted to have dinner in Italy somewhere exclusive. So I took over the Academia in Florence and set up a dinner table for six people and had Andrea Bocelli come in to serenade him during dinner. <laughs> so that was cool as hell. And in speaking with Andrea, actually understanding about his charity and the work he does with uh, Celebrity Fight Night. And um, we actually shared quite a, lot of, uh, quite a lot of similarities in the stuff that we did within the charity because I also have Blue Cause and... Um, I actually do a lot of uh, speeches and uh, presentations on this, and I talk about the power of giving and the ROI it has on your credibility and, quite simply, you as a business. Um, so speaking of Andre was fantastic on that. I would say that if you, wanna, if you want one of the big names who has struck me with the most power, that's a tough one. Richard's obviously done fantastic. He's turned himself into a myth and an icon. And anything he touches and puts Virgin on it, everyone instantly thinks he's going to go brilliantly. But the man that I, I really love listening to, uh, and there's two of them, Peter Diamandis and Elon Musk. And I love the way 
that both of these guys simplify gargantuan projects. And when you hear it from Peter about how he puts together the XPRIZE for reusable space vessels, which, which Richard Branson then took over, or how he does the XPRIZE with Qualcomm, how he takes a mammoth project like mining on asteroids and simplifies it within a couple of lines. And then you've got Elon that turns around and basically challenges NASA and goes, well, why can't it be done better? And then just goes and does it. <laughs> you know, I really, I really like those people that just look, and, and both of those people, both Peter and Elon, they're both great friends as well. Um, those two look at a project and just refuse to follow the company line. They just look at the problem or look at it and just go, it's got to be a different answer. I'm going to find mm. it. And those guys, when you can be in the room with that kind of brain power, that kind of mentality, and you will be the dumbest person in the room, if you're lucky, you stand the most to gain and you're in the power of genius. You're in the presence of genius. Yeah, that's right. You just be like a sponge standing there absorbing everything you can, right? Damn right. Well, you, you think about it. You're at home thinking to yourself, how do I keep the lights on? How do I pay for my kids to go to college? How do I do this? How do I set up this new company? How do I get this bloody newfangled thing like the internet? <laughs> and you go and sit next to someone like Ray Kurzweil, who actually built Siri about eight years before there was a platform that could support it. And you just, you just meet these guys and you just go, I'm not, I'm not doing this right. I'm looking at the problem as the end instead of looking at alternatives to avoid the problem I've originally got. Mm. They really do look at things in a, in, a, in a way that you would not believe. It's just, it's just incredible how their, how their brain works. Yeah, and I almost feel like we're sitting back focusing on a lot of the minor things. Meanwhile, they're just focusing on the majors. Right? They see the bigger picture all the time. And they, they, they'll do anything. They'll bend, break, whatever they need to do to get around to, to get to that uh, big vision and that end goal. Well, they don't see the parameters. They do not see the box. And that's what gets me. You know, here's, here's an example. And again, this is brilliant when I can even quote this, but... I was speaking with Elon about, um, about his space rockets. And he said that all he had to do was basically chop off a couple of feet of the diameter of the fuselage of a rocket in order for it to be carried by trailer, by truck, over the Cape. Yet NASA wouldn't restrict the size of it. Therefore, it had to go on a ship and it had to go all the way through the Panama Canal to get back up. <laughs> it's just... Just by making it slightly slimmer, the billions that were saved on being able to transport it over by truck and land rather than the huge expense of sending it down by sea. <laughs> and so he takes a mammoth project and looks at it in a simpleton fashion. And it's just brilliant to be able to do that. Most people can't see the wood for the trees. And this guy just refuses to see any parameters. Yeah, what's awesome is he's been able to position himself to a point where he has the money and the resources to say any, that anything goes. Like, you know, if you want to jig something, move something, start something somewhere else, he can do it because he's set his life up in a way where he can do that. 
Well, it, it goes back to my first statement right at the beginning of this, the credibility and the ROI on that credibility. Mm. Okay, when you can actually do that, I'll tell you a story of when I got Bocelli this year. Um, yeah. I've already told you about what the client wanted. I phoned up the management of Bocelli and asked them, could my client have Bocelli turn up and sing for them? And the person that I phoned laughed at me on the phone and hung up. <laughs> now, I knew people at the Vatican because I'd been working for some people at the Vatican earlier that year. I phoned them up. They, I said to them, do you know anyone there that has worked with Bocelli? And they went, yeah, we know him. They made a phone call for me, and I got a phone call back saying to me, did I want him at 9 o'clock or 9.30? <laughs> so it's the power of that credibility that does get you places. And you don't know all the people. You don't know all the answers. But if you can get 10 people around you that are looking at someone and says, you want to pay attention to Joel because he gets it done. He knows what he's talking about. And if he says he's going to do it, it's going to get done. That person then suddenly gets on board your gravy train. And that's what Elon's done. Elon's built up that credibility now with Tesla, with PayPal, with um, the space that he's involved in, SpaceX, that if he says, I'm going to turn my hand to vending machines or producing a new Coca-Cola or, or a new plant or some, whatever he says he's going to turn his hand to now, he's built up credibility. Yep, big time, big time. So your experience at Andrea Bocelli, do you feel that you were able to set this up because Andrea Bocelli was going to be there? Was it, do you feel like that's how they allowed you to use that venue or do you think you could have done that anyway? Uh, yeah, what it was, I was in Rome on the, on the Sunday and I got the phone call on the Sunday from the client uh, that he was going down to Florence. And so I got the venue first and then I just wanted to see how far I could take it. And if you're in Italy, and I, I don't know if you're aware, but Andrea Bocelli actually lives in Tuscany. He lives in Florence. Mm. And so I, I knew this. I didn't know him personally, um, but I knew where he was located. Um, so I thought, if you're going to be in Italy, in Florence, for one, you, you cannot go to Florence without seeing David. And the only entertainer that's famous from Florence that's international is Andrea Bocelli. So I couldn't think of anything that, was, that could beat that. And I managed to pull it off. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really, that's great. And I've been to that venue as well. It's it's absolutely packed all the time. There's a massive line always. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we we made sure that it was completely clear for us. Um, and the pictures. I'll send you a couple of the pictures. Um, the pictures are just incredible. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, send it through, and we'll put it up on Addicted to Success. Sounds all right. Good. Yeah, I'll yeah. send you the pictures of the. Uh, at the table and uh, me and uh, Mr. Bocelli and his beautiful wife. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So you, uh, I also heard that you spoke at Harvard twice as well, <laughs> yeah, mate. So that, that would have been a great experience to be able to uh, speak at Harvard, you know. Um, what was the main message there? Like what do you feel was the, uh, that they took away from, from both uh, speeches from you? Well, probably not to invite me a third time. Uh, <laughs> the first thing they probably, uh, probably worked out. Um, I've got to tell you the story about the first time. Um, I'd been getting a lot of press in the Rob Report and CNN and places like that as this kind of weird, freaky-looking character that did all this stuff. Um, and one of the things that we did within our office is whenever we had new team members, we would phone them up outside of the office and pretend we were like this new client. And we'd ask them for things like, you know, we need a goat by 5 o'clock tonight and any time. <laughs> 
And we would wind them up just to see how the newbies would react. And I was in London, actually, at a bar with a friend of mine. And this lady phoned up and said, hi, you know, we want you to uh, talk at an event of ours. And would you be willing to do that? And I hadn't started doing any speaking gigs or anything. So this was you know, one of my first ones. I've done some smaller ones, but certainly nothing to the standard of Harvard. Um, and I thought it was one of the newbies winding me up. <laughs> so I actually turned around after a couple of seconds uh, when she said to me, and I said, sure, what's the location? She said, Harvard. So with that, I responded in a very, um, should we say, not polite manner. The F-bomb was dropped, and I said, thank you very much, and I hung up. And then I get a phone call from my PA who said, hey, did you just get a phone call from Harvard? And I said, <laughs> Yeah, I did. Which one of the clowns did it? Because it wasn't funny. You know, she didn't sound very funny on the phone. Tell her if she tries that again, she's got to be a bit humorous. And my PA said, yes, yes, yes. But it was Harvard. I've got them on line two. I'm going to patch you through. But she said that the reception got a bit rough near the end and she couldn't understand what you were saying at the end. Oh, that is so lucky. Like, oh, my God. So I answered the phone. I went, Hi. And they went, hi, sorry, we got cut off. But anyway, and so she went into it and they wanted me to talk about um, existing in this space by not bowing to the preconceptions of this industry. <laughs> it was the longest title I've ever seen for a keynote in my life. So, and then this was the weird thing about three lines down, dress code. <laughs> so I said to her, how can I conform to your dress code while talking about non-conforming? So she was like, oh yeah, okay, you know, you don't have to worry about dress codes. You know, we, we, don't, really have a, we don't really have a dress code, so don't worry about it. She said, we're all casual. So I turned up to this thing. I had jeans, t-shirt on. I was Steve Sims casual. Well, even the ladies had jackets on. So that was a bit unnerving for, the, for that event. But I did my keynote on how to you know, exist in this, in this space by being you and not conforming. And I actually got written up in by a Woman's Wear Daily as the highlight of that lecture. Oh, that's awesome, man. And just because <laughs> you were authentic, right? Just because you were yourself, you weren't going to conform. And, yeah, you know, I think so. Perfect example. And the lady did actually reveal to me that she did obviously get my complete conversation on the phone before I laughed and hung up on her. So she did, uh, she, I think she was quite proud to embarrass me near the end. <laughs> I love it. It makes for such a great story. <laughs> well, then they invited me back the second year. So I did make sure that I, uh, I didn't swear that time, but that was, uh, that was good fun. So yeah, I was, I'm very fortunate to on all, of my, on all of my forms or anything that I'm ever asked to fill in and they put down education, I just put, spoke at Harvard twice, does that count? <laughs> oh, I love it, I love it. Oh, excellent, Steve. So tell us about a few uh, exciting things that you guys have going on at Bluefish. Wow. Um, well, I can tell you for a start, we never know what's going on from one week to the next because our clients are always dreaming them up and we have clients worldwide so they just phone up and say hey you know i want to do this at the milan fashion week or i want to go into the the award shows um so a few things we got coming up we are actually 
since our relationship with uh, Bocelli and the Bocelli Foundation, we're actually helping put an event together for them in Florence in September. Uh, that's looking to be really cool. Uh, George Clooney was at the last one, so that should be good. We're doing a big uh, Oscar party with fame and philanthropy uh, here in Hollywood during the Oscars. Uh, James Cameron, Brad Pitt, Oprah Winfrey, a lot of big names were getting involved in there, Justin Timberlake. So that should be pretty cool. Um, we're doing a lot around the fashion weeks, but as a concierge, we just also do great travel, uh, great access into events. You would get a client phone up saying, hey, I'm going to a ball game in Boston. We get him great tickets. Yeah, if he wants to go on the pitch and actually play baseball with some of the big team members themselves, then we'll also do that. So we never know what we're going to do until we get the client's interest and then we see how far we can take it. Yeah, and there's a lot of it about the money. Like if someone wanted to do, say, let's say they wanted to jump on the pitch, they wanted to shoot free throws before Kobe goes gets on the court. I mean, like, is that a lot of it to do with money or is it more because you guys have built a lot of your connections already? Um, do you know, I would say more than the money, it's passion. Okay. Uh, we had a client um, that uh, wanted to meet Journey and his passion was so, his dream was so strong to be with Journey that he kind of diluted it, diluted it with us when he said he just wanted to meet Journey. And when we spoke to him, we were actually able to get him to sing on stage with Journey. Now that went from a, that ended up being a big project, a lot of money on that project. Um, But it carried through because of his passion. So if someone doesn't really want to do something, then they're not gonna spend a lot of money on it. Let's also look at it the other side. You don't need to spend a lot of money on stuff to make it glamorous and glorious. You know, you get these people to go, hey, I wanna shoot, shoot, you know, hoops with Kobe. That's going to be a lot of money, okay? But there may be a way of setting up a really cool experience where rather than playing basketball with Kobe, maybe you get hold of the stadium and you do a, you know, a pickup game with, say, four of your best friends. Yeah, okay. So you look so for what, alternatives to fit within the budget too. Yeah, yeah. That's right. While still making it special. Yes. Yeah, you could go to a ball game. Um, you could get a bunch of signed memorabilia have it waiting for your, for your client when they're back at their hotel room. So the client goes back to the hotel, and as a, as a perk, there's a bunch of stuff just waiting for them at the, uh, at the, at the hotel for mm. If it's a baseball game, getting a signed baseball, that's not too hard. That's not too expensive. Yet the client's going to stick it on his desk when he gets home, and that ball's going to be there, and he's going to think of you all the time he walks into the office. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the thought, the passion, and the return on investment on that emotion over how much it actually cost. Yep, yep. That's great. And you know what? Actually, in your speech, this video that I saw you uh, of, of you on stage, right? You were sharing some advice on uh, connecting with clients, with uh, you know other companies, through sending like uh, mail, right, from hotel <laughs> hotel rooms. So could you kind of clear that up for us and like share, share that advice with us? Because I thought it was pretty great. It's kind of going back to the old school, back to the basics, but it's still very effective today. Well, look at it. We've all got smartphones in our pockets that do everything from download thesaurus, go surf the internet for any answer you want, text, email, anything. But the least thing you use it for is to actually phone someone. Mm. So... We've become very diluted. You know, we write an email, it's spell checked. You know, you just, 
and you want to use big words if you're talking to an important or an affluent client, it gets misguided, you know? So clients want to know you're real. They want to know you're authentic. So I started this, this tiny little thing a little while ago. And what I did was I travel a fair bit around the planet. So what I would do is I would go down to the hotel lobby and I would say, look, can I have 50 envelopes? So I would have 50 envelopes from a hotel in London or Japan or Switzerland. Or in my video, I had just come back uh, from Italy. So I had um, envelopes from Italy. And then when I was in Canada, I grabbed envelopes from Toronto. So they've got the hotel logo on them and they've got the address and all that kind of stuff. And then what I would do on these planes is they give all these magazines away, don't they? Yeah. So I would flick through the magazine, especially Sky Mall. Sky Mall is the best one because it's, it's a pile of rubbish that really you find more interest in the more you drink. And I would go through this Sky Mall and I would rip out pages of just the weirdest thing, like a back scratcher that looks like a fake flamingo or a letterbox in the shape of a dolphin or just stupid stuff. And I would rip it out and I would write a little note on it. And I had a client of mine that just bought a $30 million house down in Jupiter in Florida. And I remember writing on him about maybe you need a dolphin letterbox. And I would shove it in one of the envelopes. And you can do this a lot of the time when you're actually on a plane, okay? Because you've got five hours to do nothing. So I'd shove it in there. I'd get off the plane, I'd post it, and of course the client gets his envelope from a different country or from a hotel, and I guarantee you, you get a handwritten envelope from a hotel, could be in New York, Miami, or the Maldives, you're gonna open it, okay? Because yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not pre-typed. Bearing in mind, the thing that's been folded up has been folded up not, not tightly, so it's not like a fulfillment center. So the envelope's a bit spongy. You can tell someone's done it and you open it up and you pull out a ripped up piece of magazine that's got a picture of a dolphin letterbox on there with a sign on it from Steve Sims saying, thought you may need this for your jumbo mansion on the beach now. <laughs> and it just shows that you're thinking of them. Yeah. And I did it. I, I do it all the time. And, and when I was in Canada, I told everyone to do it. Go down there. You're in. It was a, a meeting of masterminds by Jason Gaynard. And I said to everyone in the room, I said, look, do your clients know that you're at this event? Do they know you're here to be a better version of you? So why don't you tell them where you are by sending them a little note saying, hey, I'm at this mastermind event to improve who I am. But while I was here, I thought of you. This is really cool. Mm. And it, it's just a good way to reach out to people. Yeah, and it's a rarity nowadays that people actually think of others in that way. You know, it's easy to send a text. It's easy to send an email or like a picture on, on Facebook. <laughs> it's not easy oh. to, you know, put a, put a letter together and, and have something that's heartfelt. Even writing a letter to someone, like handwriting, I think... People really appreciate that because they're like, wow, you're putting a lot of effort into this. They remember yeah, that. This really, really isn't, is there? You know, we all work yeah. really hard, yeah. okay? We work 24-7, but you're telling me there's not five minutes in the day when you're on a phone call that you don't want to be on or you're waiting in a line somewhere or you've got to be on a plane. Planes are perfect. 
um, that you can't just write 10 envelopes. Yeah, no just, excuses. There are no excuses. Um, if you don't want to improve, hey, don't do this. But just write the damn letter. Even just when there was one thing I did in Rome, I was at this bar in the uh, Hotel de Russi, and in my room, they gave me a cocktail. It was um, like a, a small business card about the hotel, but on the back of it was a Dolce Vita cocktail that they had done. And it looked a nice cocktail. I tried it. It was nice. So I went down to the reception, and I said to him, I want 200 of these. And the manager was like, oh, yeah, you can't have 200. I said, well, <laughs> say, before you say no, let me explain. I'm going to send 200 of these to my clients, and they're going to see your hotel written all over this. So would you like to be in the hands of 200 of the wealthiest clients in the world? Did I get a no? So all you do is you stick it in an envelope, send it out, and on it, this is the key thing. Don't write a letter. Don't type a letter. On the actual card itself, in a Sharpie that I travel with all the time, get a Sharpie and write on it, Joel, this was a really great drink. Recipes on the bank. Enjoy it and think of me, Steve. And just send it. Fold the damn thing up, stick it in the envelope, and send it. It's a really cool thing to get. Yeah, beautiful. You send it to their business address. You know, sometimes you might not have their personal address. So you send it to their business. That jumps the queue, right? Because they say, oh, it's coming from some fancy hotel or it has some, something special to it. So it jumps the queue. Well, I usually send, I always keep in touch with my clients. And I've, the, the, least, the least route that I try is email. So I may video a little message and I may text it to their cell phone. And you can just go, hey, Joel, I uh, just want to check with you. What is your best mailing address? If I've got something I need to send you, where can I send it? And you video that. Video that using your iPhone or your smartphone. Text it to them. Mm. They will text you back their address. That's communication. Yeah. And you've just asked for that best address. But better still, they've, seen your, they've heard your tone of voice do it from a cool little place. You know, mm. stick yourself in a, uh, a nice little venue or in a park or, you know, with a lake behind you or something like that or even at a restaurant and just say, hey, Joel, I'm in a restaurant, but I wanted to send something to you. So what's your best mailing address? Just that change in tone of voice, the change in location, the ambience that comes along with that 15-second video will make an impact on your client rather than, them getting an email saying, Dear Joel, please advise of your best mailing address with regards, Joel. Yep. And I'll tell you one more thing. Recording a video is actually faster than sending an email. <laughs> it is too. It yep. is too, so yeah. there you go. So it's more impact. It's more, um, it's, got, it's got more impact. It's, it's sharper. It's more creative. And it's faster. Yeah, you got it, man. You got it. All right, so there you go, guys. Video. Shoot a video. Send something that's heartfelt, right? Stand oh, apart yeah. from the rest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, beautiful, Steve. Great advice, man. Um, we're getting to a close on this interview. You know what? I feel like we could just talk all day. I know you've got so much <laughs> amazing advice. We might have to do a part two. Or I might have to um, drop by when I'm out in uh, Hollywood next year and and, uh, and we could shoot a video interview. I think that would be awesome. 
But um, as we wrap up, I've got this question, right? I love asking at the end of every interview. And the, the question is, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, what would that 30 seconds sound like? Keep your word, keep your word, keep your word. Beautiful. And then I'd sit down for 27 seconds and relax. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Simple and straight to the point. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Steve. I really appreciate your time today. And uh, yeah, just keep living the big life, man. And just keep giving back and, and hanging out with the uh, cool people that you hang out with. And um, keep spreading the good word of uh, building great relationships and connecting with the authenticity. So uh, you're doing great out there, mate. I'll try. I'll try. Thanks, John. <laughs> All right, Steve. I'll catch you later then, buddy. See you later. Bye. See ya.